And so we continue on that Jesus is fulfilling something further. And here is their temple. If you've seen it, this is, I took this photo when I was there. No, I didn't. <laughs> Got it off Google. But here's the temple that we see in Jerusalem. This is there right now at the moment, still standing. But interestingly enough, and I'm, pretty, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna go over this very quickly, but they themselves are waiting for the promise of Mount Zion. Now, something that was more significant than the Mosianic law or Moses' law in Mount Sinai was actually more important was Mount Zion. Has anyone heard of that name before? And you know what? This was more important than anything else because why? The temple had finally been built. This was their city. They'd finally been established. They'd been moving around so much with the tabernacle that they finally enter and they build on the plan that God had promised them. And here they build the temple. And so, but interestingly enough, the mission was complete and they misunderstood. They thought, we're going to reclaim Mount Zion. All these promises of David coming back, this kingdom coming back. But when we look to Revelation, one of our favorite things is Adventist. But look at it from a spiritual point of view. Matthew 14 verse 1. Sorry, it's usually highlighted, but something with the transfer. That's okay. Then he says, look and behold. What does it say? Mount Zion, right? Stood the Lamb. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And then Hebrews 12.22 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So funny enough, we can already see just in Hebrews here alone and also in Revelation that Mount Zion, as it was a physical place, has become something more. That Jesus has become something more. He's not just a man. In fact, he is the Messiah when we read Matthew. Mount Zion became a physical place, the place where everything happened, where God dwelt with his people, where the government was established in Jerusalem, where they themselves delivered political things happening in their nature. Everyone came to this place. But Jesus has told us in Revelation, and John, as he revelates, tells us that Mount Zion is the city of the living God, not the physical earthly Jerusalem, but what does it say there? The heavenly one, which tells me, hang on, maybe the Jews misinterpreted this. Just give me one second. So as we speed on a little bit further, we can see that the eschatological fulfillment, so I'm rushing this as another sermon here, let alone, but the core points we can get is that God was dwelling with his people. That was the point of Mount Zion. That was the point of the tabernacle. Build me a tabernacle so that I may dwell with my people, right? And it was also the beginning of their first king. Remember, we want a king. or oh, not their first king, but the, but the king reign. You know, King Saul came first. But yet it was a symbol that actually this was actually Yahweh. This was Jesus, God and the Holy Spirit's worldwide rule. And in fact, it became the living center of Israel's political and religious existence. In other words, the new earth, heaven, right? So then we continue with the passage here. <laughs> Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. We've just read that. But the next part is fascinating and what the woman says. Is it a bit tiny there? Yeah. So the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. She's begging him, right? But he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But then she replies and she acknowledges this and says, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And so Jesus wasn't being exclusive. He was testing her. And you know what? This woman that was a Gentile, that they excluded them, as you know, that he tested her, and in the next part, he praises her, that she understands that the Jews are meant to receive the salvation revelation that we see in Romans 2, that they were the oracles of salvation. It comes amongst the Jews. And she acknowledges this, but she says, you know what? They get that, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. Does anyone feed their dog their crumbs at home? We're not allowed. I get in trouble with my wife <laughs> to feed. We don't have a dog. We have a cat, which acts like a dog. 
But this is what she was referring to, Isaiah 49 verse 6. And the Great Commission didn't actually come in Matthew 28, but it had been the ethos, the mission of Israel since they'd been established. And Isaiah reiterates this in Isaiah 49 verse 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring them back because they've been divided for so long. I will also make you what? A light for the Gentiles. You're not to exclude them, but did they exclude them? They did. They failed their mission and hence why the mission went further after Stephen stoning it went to the whole church that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So this mission that we follow as a church here at Fremantle is not new. It's been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And Israel failed, so God said, well, I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. They can be the ones that hold the oracles of salvation, of the message, of the beautiful message of Jesus Christ. And that's why you're here today. So the question is, if we are not following this mission, God will find someone else. That's the harsh reality. So we have two choices, whether we grasp it and we follow it, or we don't grasp it and Jesus will find someone else. That's the reality. But it just shows that we, God is bigger than us. So here is this attention. He replies with this. Then Jesus said to a woman, you have great faith. Your crest is granted and a daughter has healed at the moment. And so as we look to the example in Luke 19, I snuck in a text outside of Matthew. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he's there. He wasn't excluding. He was being inclusive, but was testing her to say, do you know your scripture? And she did, and she was praised, and she was blessed, and she was healed. So as we open up, and this will be our key text for today, is this, this idea of the mountain of feeding, this establishment of who Jesus is as Messiah, not just a rabbi or a teacher, but as the Messiah. So Jesus left there and went to the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up to the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they laid them at his feet and healed them. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? We just start church and everyone comes in that we want to minister to. That would be nice, <laughs> but we have to go to them. And so the people were amazed when, when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. And that is something very, very beautiful. And as we continue on in Isaiah, Jesus is fulfilling this mission where the Jews failed to meet, minister to the Gentiles. And funny enough, throughout Matthew, he ministers to a lot of Jews, but he sneaks in every part of the chapter. He always sneaks in a Gentile to show the people, the Jews that are reading the book of Matthew, to say, hang on. This Messiah, this rabbi, or not, is actually catering to the people that we've been excluding for centuries. So you can see that kind of cool little context there, and he's fulfilling that. And one thing I learned from just purely just that, and we can finish there, is that Jesus' mission isn't exclusive, but in fact, it's inclusive. Are we as a church being inclusive in our mission? Because if we're not, then are we, do we really have Jesus in us? Because that's what Jesus is all about, having people be included in his salvation. And so as we continue on here, and this is the, the topic we want to touch on, is that the thing that provoked Jesus, the thing that drove him to love people is this big word, compassion. Have you ever heard of that word before? This word is something very deep. It's not just love, but it's something further, I believe, that Jesus called his disciples and said, guess what? When I feed these people, the blind, the sick, the lame, he had compassion. And it wasn't just Jesus saying, okay, I've just ticked that box. I've said you've done a good job. I'll heal that person. I tick. But there was something not on the shallow, but in fact there was something deeper yearning in Jesus. And so here I'm not very good with my Greek. I know very basics, but this is enough 
for me to understand, for you to understand, and for me to understand, this word is more powerful than we realize. And so when we look at this word, and as you know, the New Testament's written in the Greek, when they read this word that Jesus had this word compassion, this is the definition. It's a bit confronting, but I think it actually illustrates it very, very well, don't you think? To be affected deeply in one's inner being, especially in the aspect of the bowels. <laughs> Has anyone had that feeling before? Sometimes it, maybe it's guilt. You maybe feel guilt more in the bowels there. But maybe it's this idea of feeling this deep affection, this pain in you, knowing that there's something social injustice is happening before your eyes. And you want to do everything in your power to show compassion, love, grace, and forgiveness in that situation. This is how Jesus feels when he looks at us. He has this deepened desire to sympathize and empathize with you, to die for you, to see you in heaven. And so here, when we look at this, he, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had this feeling, and we need to have this feeling, this is what our identity as a church should be like, is when we look outside these walls, we have this deep yearning in our bowels, knowing we can do something about this. We have this message of Jesus Christ. We have the answer. That's why we're here, is because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so guess what? It's mentioned 12 times in the ministry. That's a lot. And here we can see, just in Matthew alone, we can see five times. And when something is repeated throughout the Bible, it means that it's important. And so Jesus, as we read here, you can see all these different instances that are compassion. Also, pity is another form of the word compassion in the Greek as well. So that's why you see that there. But he had compassion for them. He had compassion, compassion. He had pity for them. And the question is, in your everyday life, not just on Sabbath, but during your week at work, when you're at the shops, when you're at the survey, wherever you are, do you have a deep compassion for this community here in Fremantle? Because if you do, then Jesus is burning inside of you. You have Jesus working in you. But the question is, if you're not having that, then how can you have that characteristic? How can you have that spark of Jesus back in your heart again? Good question. Ask Pastor Cameron. <laughs> so anyways, we see this understanding, and this is key to the mountain of feeding, the six mountains in Matthew that are characteristic of God's people, the people in Mount Zion on heaven, and this is the characteristic we'll have in heaven, is this idea and characteristic of compassion. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to have compassion. Let me see it there again, sorry. But also, one thing I believe is this understanding of compassion cannot be left alone without the term justice. <laughs> because really, compassion is a response to social injustice, would you agree? And so there's one, I just want to pick on one text here. And you've probably heard this before many, many times. I remember reading on it, and it actually means something different to what I thought it was. I thought it would be, be a bit of a pushover, forgive them, it's all good. But actually, it says something deeper when you look into this text. You've heard it said before, or it's said, sorry, I'm doing my own paraphrase. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. <laughs> And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your cloak, coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I might just invite someone to the stage. Mark, you want to come up for me, Mark? Is that all right? Yeah, come up here. Does anyone want to slap this guy? Put your hand up. Everyone. Oh, we'll make a line here. Um, just do the 1.5 minute. <laughs> but anyways, I'm just going to show you. I've always found the illustration is easier. When I read this, I'm more of an imagery person, you know what I mean? And it's kind of fun to sap someone. Anyways, <laughs> it tells me an eye for an eye for a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if you resist someone, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, so if you face me, just face me for a second, sorry. Face me your right cheek. Yep. So if I slap him, how would I slap him, do you think? Like this? 
So what the Bible's telling me is if you slap him on the right cheek, what does the Bible tell me to do next? Turn the other cheek. Now, you have two options. Number one, I use my right hand, but I have to use my open hand, right? I won't do it. <laughs> or, what's my other option? Use the back hand of my left hand. Now, in the Bible times, and I was reading this, I'm like, oh, wow, is if they use their open hand like this, it's actually a sign of respect that you treat someone as your equal when you use your right open hand. If you use your back hand, that means they're underneath you. Are you with me? So this is what you do to your servant, right? Or you don't do it to your kids. <laughs> but, okay, Pastor Adam, that's cool. You can, you can use the right hand. But what about the left? Well, they didn't have toilet paper like we do when COVID kicks in. And guess what they used? <laughs> you guessed it. And so if they use this hand, and yeah, thank you very much. Give me a hand. Give me a hand. Thank you. I really wanted to slap him. I held back. Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but if they use their left hand, it was actually disgracing the person that is slapping. Does that make sense? To make, you know, the cleanliness and uncleanliness was very, very strong in Jewish culture. Read Leviticus if you want to know all about it. And so the person that was slapping, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he wanted to see justice. And it didn't put the person that was being slapped in a position, but actually enforced the person that was the slapper to actually make a choice that they had to disgrace themselves or show that person that they're equal. And I think that's quite powerful. But what does the next part say? If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt off, hand over your coat also. No, that's right, you said. <laughs> so the idea is that, again, this idea of being shameful and honor is a huge thing throughout the Bible. And so if you make someone naked, you yourself, the one taking the shirt, would be considered shameful. Does that make sense? And then the whole extra mile, I'm speeding through, sorry. But when this extra part, if anyone forced you to go a mile, and the soldiers would force the, the, the people to carry their gear, and they were, had to carry it for a mile. But if they did it for two miles, the Romans would get in trouble by their superior. And so Jesus is saying, well, if they're going to you know, rat you out by making you carry their stuff because they're lazy, do two miles and get them in trouble. And so throughout this beautiful thing, and I, I don't like preaching um, at this uh, Jesus Sermon on the Mount because how can you do a better sermon than Jesus? <laughs> you know what I mean? The best preacher in the entire universe. But what he's really calling us here is that we need to see justice served. But not to say, not only justice, but grace within the justice itself. But one thing that we learn is this, that justice and compassion are, guess what, inseparable. The reason we have compassion is because of injustice. And so, as we looked here, and I'm just going to be quick on here, Jesus knew what injustices were happening on this earth. He knew what was happening. That's why he came down. There was so much injustice happening that he had to lead an example and teach to say, hey, we are meant to bring compassion on this world. You were meant to be a light among the Gentiles so that my salvation could spread along the earth. And you have failed. You have failed. But guess what? I'm going to fulfill it for you. I'm going to do everything for you and set the example. But not only did he teach about it, as we see on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew, but he himself lived it and brought a glimpse of what heaven will be like through compassion. If we want to experience heaven, we need to start experiencing some of those things here right now. We don't, and as we wait for heaven, we can experience those little experiences here and now. It's hard. <laughs> but I remember one mission trip that I did on the east, we went to Nepal. And our church, it was pretty cool, the, the leaders at the time, they, they, we ended up, um, our church, giving money to this orphanage, a school that they built. And it was a school for kids that they themselves were in, and it's quite a heavy topic, but it was for sex trafficking. It was very confronting. And you hear about it and hear about it, but we went over there and we saw it. And I'll tell you what, 
that definition of compassion, I felt something down here. I felt sick to my stomach what human beings can do to other human beings. But at the same time, while their voice is loud and doing these messy things, our voice of compassion needs to be louder. It needs to be louder. The message of Jesus needs to be louder in our communities, not by preaching, but by doing, by serving, by living. That's how we show compassion. And so when we went over there, it was beautiful people there, the people that were running the school. They just had a heart of gold. And they would, do, they would go to the, the borders, stopping people. They were tackling, they were chasing, doing as much as they could to save these kids. And I think to myself, that's exactly what Jesus is doing with me right now. He is chasing after me. He is trying to rescue me. And I'll tell you what, I really felt this sense of compassion when I was there, that something was burning in my mouth. And I'm sure you feel it as well, that when you see something injustice happen, you want to do something about it. And that is the Holy Spirit prompting you. That is Jesus in you, showing his character in you to be that voice of compassion. And so don't ignore that because that is what it means to be a Christian, is to show compassion like Jesus. So I guess the question we need to ask, and that was all the way in Nepal, I want to ask you, you don't have to answer now, but something to discuss with your board or your, your family, whoever, you can do it in big or small. It doesn't matter. But I guess the question then, we need to know our community before we can respond to it. We need to be part of the community before we can respond to it. So the question is, what social injustices, injustices are happening at your doorstep right now? Have a think. Because we've been called to respond to those injustices with compassion. What's happening outside these church walls, but even before the church walls, it needs to happen from the home first. What is happening outside your home? Because if you can't do it personally in your own personal life at home, how are you going to do it corporately? But every it comes entwined. We need to do it personally, this conviction, so when we come congregationally together as a team, as a family, we can do it as a church as well. And it begins at home. I know you're going through the Bible basics at the moment, Pastor Cameron, and this is what compassion's all about. What are we doing at the very core, the very beginning steps which flourish into something more? What social injustices are happening at your doorstep and what can you do about it? Something to think about. But one thing that we learn from this mountain as we, we get to our closing finish is what is learnt is lived. Jesus taught these things, but not only did he, live, he hear it, but he lived it as well. And so you can come here on Sabbath and listen to me or any pastor that comes, and that's great. But if it's no response in when you read your Bible or listen to a sermon, then what's the point? What's the point? You know what I mean? How can we respond? How can we not just use our minds and our ears, but how can we use our heart and hands to serve our community? How can we serve our community? But one thing that I love is maybe this is the answer <laughs> to what we need. When we look, and we can generalize pretty easy, when we look at a certain person and what clothes they wear, what sort of car they drive, we can kind of stereotype and say, that's that sort of person. That's that sort of person. Oh, you live there? That must be that sort of person. And we can kind of stereotype and put people in boxes. But when Jesus looks at someone, he doesn't go, oh, that, that person's from there, they're like this. If they're that, No, Jesus doesn't compartmentalize. And we do it as humans, I'm guilty of it too. But what Jesus does, and this is my prayer every day, is he doesn't look to them and say, that's too much. Nah, you're a mess. Nah can't be bothered <laughs> but this is what jesus does that he saw them with eyes of divine compassion a spiritual gift as a gift from the holy spirit that we ignore how we see people as humans but how does god view his people and it tells me in romans 5 that while we were enemies with jesus he died for us while we were enemies while we were sinners and while we were weak this progression in in romans and so he himself doesn't compartmentalize, but he sees that everyone 
has potential to be in his kingdom. Amen? And so when we look to this, when he, and look at the people that he hung around while he was on earth for his 33 years, right? He saw Peter not as a rough, loud mouth fisherman. He would have been swearing a lot like most of our tradies. <laughs> I, used to, I did trade work for only like a few months. And yeah, <laughs> you get a lot of that language. But guess what? He didn't view him as just and the fishermen, as we know, were down there back in that day. But actually, he didn't view them down there. But he saw him as a mighty preacher of the gospel. And if you remember Acts 2, he preached an amazing sermon after in that upper room. And they, thousands and thousands were converted. He also saw James and John. If you remember them, they were the, the brothers of lightning and thunder, weren't they? The brothers of thunder, sorry. And they themselves were doing some pretty aggressive things. Like they, wanted, they were ready to fight. I'm going to unpack that in another sermon. But they were just every time something happened, they were like, yeah, let's go, let's box. We're waiting. <laughs> or swords, I should say. Let's get the kingdom back through violence. But guess what? He saw them as enthusiastic proclaimers of his grace. And John here, the brother, he himself wrote the book of John, which is the gospel that is known to mention the word grace the most out of all the gospels. Someone converted to being someone that wanted to fight has now become the one that has said the word grace the most in his gospel to the point where Jesus revelated to him in Revelation. He also saw a deep yearning for genuine love and acceptance in the heart of Mary Magdalene. As everyone accused her of what she did in her career, Jesus saw her with his potential, or with her potential, I should say, as someone that needs to be loved and someone that can be saved. And Thomas, the cynical doubter. <laughs> Thomas, and it's, I feel bad about Thomas, I'll be honest, because there's segments throughout the gospel and to the point where Jesus is risen again, he says, I'll only believe if I would do what? Put my finger in your side where they pierced with the spear, and where else? In the hands. You're thinking, come on, what are you doing? You can see him there. You saw him die on the cross. Well, you ran off, actually, like every other disciple. But when you look to the story of Thomas, he went and preached the gospel to India, that they made a church named him St. Thomas, that he himself became a powerful, powerful evangelist and was able to spread the gospel to India. Amazing. So I feel bad when he's known as Thomas the Doubter because he did doubt, but the new Thomas, when he died, left an amazing legacy of faith. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, male or female, thief on the cross, a centurion or a demon-possessed man, this is how Jesus saw them. <laughs> that Jesus saw their God-given potential and viewed them through salvation's eyes. So are we looking to our community through this lens right now? Are we thinking they're a lost cause? <laughs> or are we thinking like Jesus with the heart of compassion, that deep yearning within our bowels, saying there is still hope? They just need to meet the hope, which is Jesus Christ. And they need to meet it through us, how we live, how we talk, and how we interact with them, how we service their injustices with compassion to bring justice in their life through Jesus Christ. And this is maybe the prayer revival that I need in my life, and I'm sure all of us do as well, is I just need to see the world how Jesus sees it. Simple as that. Even Ellen White <laughs> says something very beautiful here. She goes, Those who have the Spirit of Christ will see all men and women through the eyes of divine compassion. That all those who have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, will see all men and women through the eyes of divine compassion. That is my prayer. <laughs> so, as we finish and as we close, the, the question stands as this, is who are the lost sheep of Israel today? Jesus came for them. So who are the lost sheep that we're trying to bring back to the spiritual Israel that everyone now is part of Israel? <laughs> 
Who are the lost sheep that we need to go out there and bring back to the flock? And you know, there's three parables about the lost coin and the sheep, and we know that they themselves, that Jesus was willing to go over that way, and the prodigal son too. So how do we know, as a church, to show them justice and compassion? To only show them that you need to get to know them before you know what they need. We need to meet them. We need to go and meet, interact, and show them Jesus Christ and how we live. So as we finish this mountain of feeding, and I'm hoping you're feeling a bit full at the moment. I'm a bit hungry now. But Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up to the mountainside, sat down. Great crowds came, and we've already read this before, and he healed them. And at the end it says, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, and the cripple made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Imagine if people came to our church, or came to us, or we went to them, and when they left our church, they felt encouraged, they felt spiritually healed, and one day, hopefully, they felt physically healed as well. That's what I want our churches to be remembered for, that when they walk here or we go to them, that when they leave this place, they have felt the compassion of Jesus Christ. Amen? They have felt that someone actually cares about them, that they believe that there is a hope beyond this terrible world, that their injustices can be satisfied at the second coming, that Jesus is going to bring justice and love and compassion for all that believe in him. And as we finish on this last verse... I love this. Surely goodness and mercy, and I see that as surely compassion and justice, similar to words, <laughs> shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell, that word dwell, in the house of the Lord forever. This is what Mount Zion in heaven looks like, a place of compassion and love, of justice. And you know what? We don't have to wait for heaven for this. But here as we finish, when we show compassion to a world we are giving, them a taste of heaven here on earth. That when we are showing compassion to the Fremantle community right here, to the world, to your workplaces, to your schools, to your friends, to your family that need to hear this, you know what? You're giving them just that taste, that trial taste of what heaven is going to be like. Isn't that amazing? And when people walk into this building and they feel this love, encouragement, embracement, eating together as Jesus' ministry, and I always love this, it was always revolved around food, that they're having a taste of what the banquet in heaven is going to be like. So as we finish, and I want to pray, is the prayer that we want to have is that God gives us divine eyes of compassion to see the community through his eyes and his eyes alone. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you, Lord, as we look at these mountains. And Lord, we've just looked at the one today. We've seen, Lord, that you have compassion over your people. You had compassion over not only the Jews of the lost tribes of Israel, but you had compassion over the Gentiles, that you saw something, you saw potential salvation in them because, Lord, you were their salvation. And so, Lord, you were able to show us the example of what it means to be compassionate to the community. And so, Lord, I know Frio Church is doing a great job here, but, Lord, the mission is not finished. There is still more to do to spread the good news to the Gentiles, and we're the Gentiles too. But, Lord, one prayer and one prayer alone is give us the eyes that you have. The eyes, when we look to injustice, it breaks our heart like it breaks yours. Lord, let us see this world with potential that is not completely lost because, Lord, there is still hope as you are the blessed hope for us. So, Lord... Let us show them heaven on earth through our compassion today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.